This is Samuel Savala, and you're listening to Friars on the Friars Podcast. Welcome to Friars on the Farm Podcast. I'm Donovan, and with me is Roy. What a fun weekend we've had. We're living on a thin lane. <laughs> Pretty, you know, um, my my mindset still holds, my expectations still hold that if we get into, like, we're not going to lose every game in the last three weeks of the season. Oh, no, you know? this team's um, making the playoffs. It's just a matter of what they're going to look like running into the playoffs. You know, I, and, and I will say if they do, fantastic. If they don't, you know, bummer, bummer, bummer. But I, I still, I'm not, I'm not sold. You know, they, they kind of put it together for a few uh, nice weekend series. I mean, certainly yesterday's game was uh, was yesterday's game was what we should have been doing since the trade deadline. And even before that, like we should have been dominating a lot of those teams, you know, not necessarily your your Dodgers and some of the better teams, you know, playing them a little more competitive, if not, you know, squeaking out maybe a series here or there. But certainly what we saw yesterday, um, or at least I watched as I played my game, was the kind of baseball that the team should have been playing and should need to really play for the next two weeks. Well, I know that the hot team rolls through playoff series, and that applies for pretty much every sport. So if the Padres can find a groove and get everybody get everybody hitting and the good pitching continues, then when October rolls around, then they can beat anybody. Um you know, they just one way or another, they're going to have to go through the Cardinals. They're going to have to go through L.A. Um, yeah, there's some good juggernaut teams out there, but I I want to continue to believe in this team. I'm going to believe in them until I can't believe in them anymore. I, I believe. But, to, to you know, to soften my heart or, you know, to harden my heart, the callous heart that I have. Because it's just doom and gloom over here in the Jones residence. <laughs> like, okay, but it doesn't have to be doom and gloom because we have other things to look at. We, we have we have the storm in a playoff series right now, crushing you've it. Got you've got El Paso that is suddenly leading leading their division in the PCL. So there's going to be playoff baseball possibly in El Paso, and we'll uh, talk a little got, more about that. Absolutely, right? you got San Antonio. To... I mean, yeah. everybody. There's yeah. a lot of reasons to be optimistic right now. It's not all about the major league team. Right, and we're here for minor league baseball, but just to kind of finish up the the major league side, it, it's certainly, um, you know, I like the aggressiveness that I've seen this weekend. Like, I, you know, the thing with Bevmo, Belmo saying, you know, yeah, I, he's not hitting, but 400 on base. Well, 400 on base doesn't get guys in. 400 right. on base gets you on base un, until the next guy has to hit. So I, I like to see those guys. They were a little more, a, a little more aggressive in the zone earlier in the counts, and I think it showed, you know, and I think it paid off. Well, yeah, as I guess Jake Cronenworth wrote up on the whiteboard that they need to burn burn the ships. So we we're here. This is we we're here, and that what's in the past doesn't matter. It's what we're doing today, what we're doing tomorrow, what we're doing for the next month and a half. Their lives are in their hands. Burn the ships. I dug that when I saw that today. I was like, I was busy at work, and I saw what burn the ships. He's like, yep, burn the ships. That was pretty tough. <laughs> now, apparently, it's a there's a Hernan Cortez reference in there that that's what Hernan Cortez did when he came to the came to mainland America. He had them burn the ships so they knew that there was no turning back. And then he went and pretty much waged 
genocide all yeah. over Central America. So I, you know, I, I don't like that part of it, but you know, right. The, the, the Padres the, can go on a tear. Ooh, and the ooh, I didn't even think about the connection with the with the the Franciscan monks, you know, the Junipero Serra and all of that. Hmm. Okay, let's shift let's shift gears. Let's talk let's about shift. some labor stuff. Absolutely. So all the art, all the all the articles we're gonna read here, um, are from Evan Drugs from The Athletic. He's been doing the primarily uh, most of writing and reporting about the uh, unionization of minor league baseball and it, the effect that it's having on uh, the, the major league players baseball association or players association, excuse me. So, you know, as it's kind of as, as expected, after they put out the uh, the ballot for the, for, the, for the minor league players, more than 50% of the minor leaguers came back and returned that they wanted to unionize uh, and join the major league players baseball you know major league baseball players association thank you um and then in an abrupt kind of like a surprising move major league you know the players union then submitted to their employers which is mlb and they said we will recognize it right i was surprised that they that that all happened so quickly yeah and as efficiently i was confident that they were going to get the votes from the the players, but I figured Major League Baseball was going to push back and and not be willing to recognize, um, you know, that this was going to be a legitimate, you know, union representation. Uh, yeah, at least have some pushback, a little bit of delays, uh, a little conspiracy theory somebody raised that th- the, you have Senate hearings going on about the antitrust agreement with Major League Baseball, and so there's kind of this somebody voiced a a a, a wondering if caving on this a little bit kind of takes a little bit of the attention away from the antitrust thing and may soften the whatever impact they may get from that side that is not that is not a tin cat that's not a tin foil hat idea that we're going to talk about that right now and it's very much maneuvering um because you would think that they were going to fight it they would fight it and push back and you know try to drag their feet as long as they could to kind of drag out this process but in, in a move they did it and essentially that's why uh, let me read this here and kind of give us some background here. So Major League Baseball intends to recognize a minor league players union without forcing players to go through a National Labor Relations Board election process. That's the national, that's the government's like labor board. It's a big, it's a big deal. A major decision that likely will hasten the creation of new union and reduce acrimony and, and reduce the acrimony involved. In essence, MLB and the owners appear to be foregoing any anti-union campaign. That would attempt to dissuade players from organizing, which would potentially also be used to delay the process. Employers in other industries commonly take up these strategies, but also incur significant public relation hassles when doing so. MLB and its fans have already seen their share of labor strife this year following the owner's lockout of the major league players. Now, MLB's intent to recognize the union does not mean that there won't be hang, uh, hand-winging. Uh, technical details still remain as the parties work out a card check agreement including specifics as to a calendar um calendar during the card check process if such an agreement is reached an independent arbiter will literally check the cards and now they've already done this i believe they've already done this and it has happened and this is a little bit older than uh than than the current knowing about uh but quote we are pleased major league baseball is moving forward with this process in a productive manner uh, Tony Clark said in a statement Friday evening, this is a couple of weeks back, while there are significant steps remaining, we are confident discussions will reach a positive outcome. Among the issues that have to be sorted through is a question of which players are a part of the new union. More technically, and they've, they've already re- they've reached this, it's everyone in the states. 
So Dominican players have no representation. So Dominican players have or no representation. international players, we should say, players right. that are not on a stateside roster. Right. Um, I don't know the particulars on that, but if I can remember the tweet correctly and the kind of the thought process of what they're doing is it's they'll be like under the umbrella, but not actually recognized. They're still going to be treated. You know, They could still be treated differently and better, uh, but not necessarily. They don't have to. Right. And I, I would imagine that since they're not on U.S. soil, they're not necessarily subject to um, U.S. American. labor laws. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, continue. So besides the public relations consideration, there might be at least a small sense of convenience pushing MLB to recognize the union. A lawsuit that produced a $185 million award for minor leaguers over wage claims requires MLB and its teams to change how they handle minor leaguers going forward. So MLB could hypothetically make those changes the lawsuit requires and then fight and delay the unionizing effort. But if the players eventually won a union through the NLRB election anyway, then the league would have to make changes to minor league pay for a second time. The league is said to consider it easier to alter minor league pay once uh, through collective bargaining rather than twice. Sure. And members of the U.S. Senate Judiciary Community, uh, Committee, including uh, Chair Dick Durbin, have recently taken an interest in MLB's antitrust exemption and have publicized the possibility of holding a hearing on Capitol Hill to discuss it with Manfred. But if minor leaguers have a union and a collective bargaining agreement, that would mean that antitrust law would no longer apply to minor league players' salaries and conditions. Labor law would allow, apply. Labor law would apply. In other words, for legal purposes, a minor league union takes the antitrust exemption out of the picture when it comes to things like how much minor leaguers are paid. Right. But that's still something that needs to be negotiated. So right. until those changes are in effect, I, I, I wonder if they're still going to try to dig into the whole antitrust thing. Yeah. So, um, so the arrival of the union could now lessen the center's interest in the, you know, so like there, if the idea is if now the major, major league baseball is kind of recognizing the minor league union and they'll start bargaining that, Maybe they'll forget about the whole antitrust question, uh, which still certainly um, could be could matter for sure, for sure. So this is a quote from uh, from Senator Dick Durbin. MLB's recognition of the minor league players union is about giving workers a voice. Fair pay, fairer pay, and better conditions will benefit players and fans alike. This is great news. I'll be watching closely to ensure the process is seen through. Let's bring this home. Okay, so the way he phrased that right there, it kind of sounds like this pushes the whole antitrust exemption topic to the side. Like it's no longer, it's no longer as relevant as it was a month ago. Yes. And there's going to be much more of this going on. We, um, we were going to have, we were going to have uh, Jonathan uh, Pinar. Oh God, I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Uh, more than baseball. We were going to have a representative from more than baseball. Come on and talk about what they do and kind of how it's going with the unionization of the minor leagues. Um, I oh, throughout the offseason, yeah. I'm sure we're going to have a bunch of conversations with different people, uh, both involved in this topic and outside, um, you know, that that are affected by it. Um, you know, because in the past, we've talked to these guys in the offseason. We've got a lot of time to fill <laughs> while the games aren't going on. Uh, so we're going to dig into this pretty deep. And yeah. we are we've got a bunch of notes that we're going to on a future episode we're going to cover. But right now, there's a lot of, uh, you know, you've got fall league rosters coming out. You've got playoff baseball in some leagues we're leading up to playoff baseball in other leagues so this is a topic we're definitely going to dig into a little bit more deeply later on but i do want to note um so the 
minor league. So minor league baseball players are being represented by the MLBPA, but it's a separate representation. Yeah. It's a separate negotiation altogether, a se separate bargaining agreement. Um, and I also found it interesting that they are now a member of the AFL-CIO. And I never really knew what the AFL-CIO was before this. It sounds like it's more, as it stands now, it's more of a lobbying group. It right. used to be an actual, you know, actual couple of unions that came together. Now it's essentially the voice on Capitol Hill that represents thousands of unions across the country, or or at least uh, advocates for those unions. Um, and an interesting angle that uh, uh, Tony Eugene, Clark, yeah, yeah Eugene right. Friedman um, pointed out was that. By joining the AFL-CIO, now that makes them eligible for all kinds of benefits uh, that are you know, come with membership. Um, and this isn't something that Major League players, because MLBPA, the Major League players are now going to be a member of AFL-CIO as well. But things like um, car loans and uh, discounts on cell phone plans, um, you know, things like that, that you know, somebody who's making really. $700,000 isn't a big problem for them, but your minor leaguers that are going through, you know, the things that we've documented over the whatever yeah. three, four years we've been talking about this stuff, it's a big deal for them. You know, so being able to get a discounted cell phone plan or, you know, some kind of health insurance benefit um, for your siblings, maybe that isn't covered uh, by your, by the team, something like that, or not siblings for your, your wife and your kids, your dependents. Um, you know, there are a lot of little secondary benefits that come with, being a member of that, that are going to also help the living conditions of minor leaguers. Absolutely. And, and I remember reading about that article, uh, reading the article on that, and with it being actually a kind of a lobbying kind of sense, the Tony Clark said that essentially they're not going to be like players aren't going to be going campaigning for um, for people that are supporting the AFILCO. They just, it's going to be under that umbrella. It's another kind of feather on their cap that they can use for power. For, for, right. for influence and right and to kind of legitimize not only the players association but the minor league players so it's um yeah that's very interesting that i, I saw that in the article yeah absolutely Let's okay talk about so one of those guys yeah yeah okay so next on our list so we're gonna dig into that like i said we're gonna you know do a deep dive on uh, all that stuff time. later on um but the Arizona Fall League rosters just came out. And I found it funny because I was up in Lake Elsinore uh, with you and John Conniff last Thursday. And I remember asking John, I was like, have you heard anything about the Arizona Fall yeah. League? When's it going to happen? Who's going to be on it or fall instructs or anything? Hadn't heard anything. The next day, the Arizona Fall League rosters got announced. So, Mad Friars, uh, the rosters for the Arizona Fall League were announced Friday and the Padres will be re well represented in the desert. The headliner of the Padres representatives will be shortstop Jackson Merrill, the 19-year-old shortstop, missed a chunk of time this season with a wrist injury. Other players headed to Peoria include right-handed starter Efren Contreras, relievers Jordan Guerrero and Alec Jacob, infielder Norillian Cedeno, and outfielder Joshua Mears. Also listed on the Peoria roster is reliever Chris Lincoln, who hasn't pitched in an official game since 2019 when he was selected to fill in the fifth round. Uh, he was selected in the fifth round out of UC Santa Barbara. The Peoria squad will also feature Robert Hassel III, the Padres' first rounder in 2020, who will be part of the Nationals delegation. Play will get underway on October 3rd. So there's a full schedule now posted. There's going to be an all-star game and a home run derby and all kinds of fun stuff. Um, 
I found the list of players here interesting because there's a couple of different situations. You got Chris Lincoln, who hasn't pitched since 2019 in an official right. game at all. Uh, you've got uh, Jordan Guerrero, who is coming off of Tommy John surgery and has had a pretty strong return so far, but it's been yeah. brief. And you've got Efren Contreras, who had his own little, he was coming off Tommy John this year, pitched pretty much a full season, but he had a, a little slowdown in the middle. There was a scare. It kind of looked like there was a little bit of, you know, concern about his elbow. And then he came back and he's finished the season pretty strong. So those guys are all kind of on the rehab path. And then on the flip side, Jackson Merrill, yeah, he missed a bunch of time but he's finished the season looking as strong as anybody and yeah. anybody who paid attention to what's been going on at Lake Elsinore the last few, he's been on a tear. Yeah. Um, he's in fuego. Yeah. And then Joshua Mears, he went up to double a and he's been contributing a lot more than I expected in, in, uh, in San Antonio. Um, and then Alec Jacob, he's been pitching all over the system this year and Nervillian Cedeno, he's been, he, he had a full season in Lake Elsinore. Yeah. So a couple of different kind of scenarios here. Kind of makes you know, me wonder if we're going to see some changing roles or, or what among these guys. Well, and it's very interesting because usually you have those guys that, you know, you send them to the fall league and they are on the cusp. They're your top prospects. You're, they're your guys. You're the Mackenzie Gores. They're your, you know, your Hudson Potts, your uh, Luis Udias is, you know, the guys that are on the cusp of making the major leagues. And it's almost a test, almost like a, a runner up, you know, like a primer. Uh, for the next year or two. Um, and then and you're willing to Cedeno, he's, he's years away from the major leagues. And the you know, same thing with Ephraim Contreras, like these guys, um, they're, you know, Merrill included, they're, they're well thought of prospects, you know, highly thought of prospects, but they're not close to pushing major league baseball. I have a season. I have a feeling that Jackson, Jackson Merrill showed people a lot the second half this year. And yeah. granted it was single a, but I could see him being somebody that kind of hits the ground running next year and goes on an accelerated path. And Preller is known for pushing guys. Yeah. And so if he goes to Fort Wayne, has a strong first half, you know, gets promoted up to double A, you know, who knows where he might wind up a year from now. Um, you know, and we've seen like Jared Dale has been playing in triple A. He just yeah. got his first, he's got his first hit in triple A. It was a triple the other day. And it's, it, 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 you see some weird stuff in this organization. Yeah. Um, so who knows what's going to happen, but it's definitely an interesting group of guys. And Jordan Guerrero can touch triple digits. I would love to see him get healthy and finally break through. We thought he might be cracking the major league roster yeah. a year and a half ago, yeah, 20 and then Tommy John surgery. And now he's back. Um, and then we don't know what we have with Chris Lincoln, but yeah, he was, picked in the fifth round overall you, you don't take a nobody in the fifth round you take a legit prospect right there absolutely very interesting I, I could see jordan maybe even cracking the bullpen next year if, if not being that taxi guy that comes up from triple a and and makes a name for himself well um, he's already he's already rule five eligible so if yeah. he goes and has a strong showing i mean he might make be making his own case to be picked up by somebody to be placed on the 40-man roster right away not exactly. that on the active roster right away i mean so while we were up there that Thursday, I went up a little earlier and talked to Samuel Zavala. Um, the Venezuelan speaks pretty darn good English. And, you know, I'd set up an interpreter and I'm like, okay, I'm going to have Leo Rosales interpret. And then uh, Justin texts me back. He's like, he speaks perfect English. Like you don't, you don't, <laughs> you don't need anybody. And I didn't know that. Cause the one time I sat in like a, several, like last month, I, I went to, uh, you know, take pictures and I sat in the dugout from Gail from prospects 1500 was sitting on a little bench inside the dugout. And I sat next to her and hey, we 
supposed to be here? She's like, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just sitting here. And then he comes over and goes, Hey, and I'm like, I think that's Sam. I don't know. I'm like, Hey, you know, and I didn't know if you know, I don't want to talk to the guys or work and it's work, you know, I, but right. he said, Hey, I'm like, Oh, and then it kind of makes sense. And he speaks perfect English. He has family in Houston. Um, so that's about 12 minutes of some good fun, you know, some, some good information on his season. Uh, some fun stuff that we always do at the end of, of the interview. So that's coming up, and we'll come back, and then we'll do the affiliate rundown. So here we're here with Samuel Zavala. Um, Sammy, growing up in Caracas, did you follow? Who, how did you get into baseball? Who got you into baseball? I think my my dad, like, someday when I was, like, one, two years old, brought me, like, a baseball band. Uh, just fall in love with the sport. I did, love it. Did he play ball or did he? Uh... He played basketball, actually. Really? Yeah. Did but, he play professionally in Venezuela? Or? Yeah, he plays in Venezuela, like, in war, in classics worldwide. Really? Okay, yeah. so growing up, who was your favorite player? Ken Griffey Jr., Junior, yeah. really? Um, did you follow the Leones de Caracas in uh, in Venezuela growing up, or do you have a Dominican team that you're a winter league you oh, like? Yeah, Leones de Caracas. When I was young, yeah, I was like, I was going to a few games there. It was fun. Okay, now John doesn't know this, but I talked to your dad, who says hello. Um, he told me he used to hit. He used to throw you uh, corn uh, grains of corn and bottle caps. Is that is that how you got your eye to play? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, maybe it's like that. <laughs> yeah. Now, did you use a broomstick like a, like a Tony Gwynn, or did you uh, use a regular bat, or what'd you do? No, it was like a, a regular bat, and sometimes with a. Do you know the how you call it? Wiffle ball. No, the thing to. Oh, the broom, a broom, yeah, a, broom a broomstick, a broomstick, a broomstick. Yeah, yeah. There, there's how you get a good eye at the plate. Um, so. Your dad told me that they called you uh, Cargo uh, growing up as a kid as a nickname. How did that come about again? Hey, I don't know. Uh, when I was, like, young, everybody told me I looked like Carlos Gonzalez, and growing up, it's the same. You look like Carlos Gonzalez, you look like Carlos Gonzalez. And yeah, it's good. It's good to hear, if I'm honest. What, uh, what's your nickname now? Uh, Sam, Sammy. Sammy? All right, yeah. All right, I, I, I'm just weird like this. I, I, I want to... I want to call you um, Baby Shark because your dad's uh, Twitter handle and <laughs> yeah, is yeah. is on. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so your dad also told me about the story of like your teammate to playoffs when you were really young, but you had permission to go to Aruba and you didn't want to get on the plane. Yeah, that was. <laughs> yeah, it was like uh, what seven years <laughs> old, I would say. Yeah, and we were playing playoffs on that time. And they told me, like, no, we're going to Aruba. I'm not going to lie. I started to cry like three hours. <laughs> yeah. I swear to God. Like three hours. I was on the I was on the plane, like on the flight, and I was crying. Just seeing like Caracas right oh. there, I was crying. I was like, no, I'm not going to play on the playoffs. Oh, but you ended up coming back. You went to Aruba and came back and played in the playoffs, yeah? Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. So after Little League, which I guess essentially is Little League, uh, you went to an academy, yeah? Yeah. How many, so how many years did you stay there in the academy? I stay on the, it's called like H3K Baseball Academy. Okay. That's like, it's like my dad. 
Ender Martinez is one of the best agents on Venezuela. But I stay there like since 2020, 21. When I signed, I was every day practice, training out there. So every day is baseball at night. Do they have any other instruction or any, any kind of schooling? Hey, yeah, online classes. With the the Padres are helping me with the online classes too. Are you looking to get your? So the Padres help me with that. Are Are you looking to get your GED? Are you trying to get a college uh, degree or? I will, I will try the next year a college degree. Yeah. Do you have any ideas for a major? A social communicator. Nice. Nice. Okay. So, it, did any other guys from the academy make it to the minor leagues? Yeah. Yeah, a lot. You, any of them played here in the Cali League? Um, Angel Solarte. Okay. Savala. The other Savala signed with us, too. Both those guys played with you back yeah. in Venezuela? Uh, I make tryouts with Solarte. He was like 16, and I was like 13, 14. Ah, that's, that's, fucking, that's pretty cool, man. Yeah. That is really cool. Anyone, anyone else uh, outside the Padres organization that you uh, you see here in the Cali League? Um, the Cali League from my academy. Oh, yeah, with Inner Empire, a pitcher and a catcher. They are pretty good. You ever talk to those guys? And yeah. Like, yeah, every time. Carol, Carol, the catcher. We play like every time there. Oh, dude, that's that's fantastic! A little bit of a little rivalry, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, that's fantastic. So, as you moved up from the DSL, you know, to the complex, and then now you're an affiliated ball. You know, the, the the competition gets better. Yeah. And what what adjustments have you had to make since coming from the Dominican into the complex, now in an affiliated ball, when the kind of the gravel, you know, when the tire hits the road? Yeah, just trying to mature fast. I just trying to do that. Just put my mind on the baseball and. Just trying to focus on this, you know. Just trying to do the things. I just, sometimes I call my mom to to cook something, you know. So it's like that. Okay. Um, what What have you and Pat Sullivan worked on this season to improve you at the plate? I mean, Pat is one of the like the best hitting coaches I ever met in my life. He's the man. <laughs> uh, we worked on first on spring training. I was with Blakey, and we. We train a lot with the stride to not be too much like big with his pitches, just calm and ready. And right now we're just staying the same approach, just calm and ready, and you know your strike zone. Now, so there's a lot of ups and downs with baseball. Are you working on or trying to develop the mental side of the game, or like being okay with failure? Yeah, yeah. I mean, everybody is gonna fail someday, you know. Yeah. But if somebody makes an error, like. It's human. Like I know, I know, I'm not, I'm not a robot or something, you know. But yeah, I feel good to failure. I'm not, I'm not afraid. Yeah, it's the only way you learn how to yeah. is you fail. Okay, as the season went on, and you begin to see kind of the same guys, you know, every other every few weeks or so. Did you notice them pitching you different, and did you have to attack them a little different? Oh yeah, sure. Like, uh, there are some good teams, like Rancho, these people of Inland Empire, they throw me good, like some good pitchers. So, I have some time to go to the iPad and see what they have to do. They have good teams. Excellent. Um, so, you, dude, this, this September, you went on a terror. And, uh, uh, you know, including three homers in four days, two in back-to-back days. 
Is that a result of, of what you and Pat were working on, or is that just, you know, at, at a time when the end of the season when guys are getting tired and maybe production kind of lowers, um, you seem to heat up. Well, yeah. When I was telling you, like, we work on with Pat, all that. That's the same approach. That homers was the same approach. I was not looking for it, just, like, trying to make contact. Good, good contest. The ball just go, but it was pretty fun. Okay, so what are you doing in the off season? Are you gonna be able to make it back home? Yeah, I will. I will be like two weeks on my house, and then I go to work on my speed on the off season. So I think I'm going to December, but all this time I'm gonna be on the off season working on my speed from the, for the next year, getting ready. Okay, you're gonna go home for a couple of weeks and then go back to the complex until the season starts. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. What you know, de- defensively. Um, along with the speed and more stealing bases that you that we talked about off off air, um, do you want to work on your routes? Do you want to work on your defense in the outfield? What what do you feel you need to do to improve out there? I mean, I wanna I wanna work on the explosive part most likely because I gotta get rude on the outfield. So I, I'm kind of like I want that boom, you know? Yeah. So. That's 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 what I'm gonna work on this offseason. All right, all right. Let's have some fun to get you out of here. We, I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you. Okay, there's some fun stuff here. What's your walk-up song? Uh, it's the one of Eminem. It's. Da 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 da. Without me, from Eminem. Okay, without me. Okay, do you have a celebrity crush? Uh, yeah, Lil Reinhardt. Who's that? Lil Reinhardt. Okay, Lil Reinhardt. Okay, so if you could face any pitcher, who would you face? Gary Cole. Gary Cole. Nice, nice. Not the Grom. Gary Cole. Gary Cole. The Grom is too good. Huh? Yeah, he is just too good. <laughs> Okay, if you could buy a jet or a yacht. A jet. A jet, nice. If you could have any superpower, what would that be? Fly. Fly, okay. (laughs) Shift or no shift? Ooh. Uh, Depends. Ah! Depends. If I'm hitting, no. <laughs> if I'm on the defense, yeah. Okay, all right, all right. Um, automated strike zone or no automated strike zone? No automated strike zone. You like you like the individuality of the, of the empires, yeah? Yeah, they are yeah. humans. They're going to make errors yeah. like us. Okay, so you've been here, you've been in uh, California and Arizona long enough. In and out or, or, or uh, five guys? In and out. In and out. Yeah. But you you spent some time in Houston. Five guy or was it Whataburger? Uh, Whataburger. Whataburger is better. Then In and Out or Five Guys? In and Out. Ah, yeah, good. good. <laughs> All right. So, what's your comfort food back home? Arepa. Arepa. Cachapa. All right. All right. And then what's your comfort food here in California? I make I cook something, make some rice with chicken every day. So that's yeah. Okay, so you do the cooking with your roommates, yeah? Yeah. Nice, nice. Um, who plays your life in a movie? 
Say again. Who? Your movie of your life. Who's the star? What actor? That's a hard question. Okay. <laughs> Eminem. 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 Okay. All right. All right. Well, Sam, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. Yeah, always, man. Always. Fun. You, you you didn't hear it. We're coming right back from uh, from from dead air. But I, one of the questions I asked him was, um, "Who would you any major league pitcher you would face?" Uh, and he said Garrett Cole. I'm like Garrett Cole. Damn, that's 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 ballsy move. No, hey, you want to you want to face the best. <laughs> I said you would. Jacob Degrom is like, nah, he's too good. <laughs> oh, 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 a little shade, right? A little bit of shade. Wow. I, I, I loved it. So really cool. I hope you guys enjoyed that. That's really fun. Let's I was to- really looking forward to seeing him. I was. I had Thursday on my calendar for a while because I knew we weren't going to be able to make it up to the last regular yeah. season homestand, and I knew that they were in the playoffs. So I knew that we were going to get out there for at least one of those games. Um, and I was looking forward to seeing. Zavala above pretty much anybody else because he's the one guy I haven't really seen and I was bummed to see that he was pulled from the game the last game of that yeah. homestand uh, with an injury turns out I see in your notes here you say hamate bone so did he ha- did he fracture his hamate bone yeah he injured I don't know if he fractured it and he had no wrist guard on or anything but uh, it was a hamate bone that he uh, injured on a swing so uh, you know what usually happens with that uh, I didn't ask him this, but it's kind of speculation that he'd probably have surgery to uh, to do whatever they do with that uh, with a handmade bone. And I'm sure he'll be, uh, you know, I think he's going to spend a little time at home. Yeah, I, I asked him what he's doing, a little bit of time at home, and then he's going to come here and uh, he'll be in Arizona probably till the season starts. Okay, so no fall instructs. I mean, that's kind of a bummer. Um, maybe he'll be around the guys for fall instructs, but he's not going to be active on drills and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I mean, what a great season for him. It's kind of a, it's a bummer that has to end on a down note, but man, he was on a tear. He came up to Lake Elsinore and just was crushing it. Yeah. All right. So uh, speaking of Lake Elsinore, Oh, go ahead. Well, just real quick. I, I, I'll be out in Peoria in January for fantasy camp. So it'll be interesting to see who's in camp. Uh, during that uh, during that January, because usually there's players rehabbing, uh, maybe guys that are just staying. You know, the, the a lot of international guys stay in America for uh, for the season to get work in and just kind of uh, stay sharp. Or some uh, guys so will get out there early. I remember yeah. Blake Hunt telling us that he was going out there like first week of January, and they weren't supposed yeah. to required to report till like second week of March. But get out there early, start putting in work. Yeah, so it's going to be interesting. Now, uh, did mo- you say you're going to try to get out in uh, October? And catch some fall league action. I'm going to try. Uh, me and Lydia are trying to pencil in the weekend uh, where I can go out there and uh, see if I can talk to a few guys. I'm going to request credentials as soon as it opens up and uh, see if I can go talk to our guys. I I'm haven't talked curious. to Josh Mears ever. Yeah, I'm curious you know, to hear just what the scene is like. If it's anything like what spring training is kind of like as far as the workouts on the backfield. Just yeah. what's the environment like? Yeah. That's I've always wanted to go and I they used to do it earlier in the fall. And so there would be that weekend where the Padres would go over to uh, to Phoenix to go play the D-backs yeah. and be like, that'd be a cool weekend to go. And you can kind of bounce back and forth. Yeah. 
So we'll see how that goes. Um, that'll be in a few more weeks when it opens up. We'll see where it goes. But let's go on. Let's talk about playoffs. Yeah, playoffs. <laughs> okay, so Lake Elsinore for strike one on Tuesday. So this is last week of the regular season. Yeah. Uh, the Storm scored six runs in the ninth inning to turn a close, tense playoff game into a rout. Oh, no, this is game one of the playoffs. I'm sorry. Uh, so Griffin, Griffin Dorshing supplied the power for the storm, homering twice in the victory in his first at bat of the evening. The former Oklahoma state star socked a breaking ball over the left field wall for a two run homer. He connected again at the top of the ninth to give the storm a little insurance. The 24 year old has a lot of swing and miss to his game, but when he's on time, he has prodigious power. If you count his effort Tuesday night, Dorshing has homered 11 times in 124 plate appearances as a pro. Right-hander Victor Lizarraga, the ace of the Storm pitching staff, got the start and pitched well. He dominated the 66ers lineup with the only blemish being a two-run homer in the fourth that briefly tied the game at two. The 18-year-old pitcher struck out nine batters. His career high in the regular season was eight. Boom. So this is the semifinals, the lower, the Southern region uh, division finals against the uh, Inland Empire 66ers. Yeah, the Angels affiliate. The Angels, the A-ball team. So mm-hmm. strike two on Thursday night. Well, um, was it Friday night or Thursday night? This is the night we were there, right? Uh, yeah, saw, that's Thursday. So we saw, the funny thing is, we saw the pitching duel until the fourth inning. And, and talk about you asking about the Arizona Fall League that night. Just before, you know, Marcus Castagnon comes up and, and you know, just Roy's like, yeah, he's kind of cooled off. Crack. Oh, there's an off the opposite field three-run shot. Yes. And he just crushed it. That's what I turned over and said, say something about the Padres, because I think we, we lost that. <laughs> the Padres lost that night. We're like, can you just say something about the Padres? Maybe they can score some runs. Uh-huh. I had to leave, and but that's why I saw that. Then I had to leave. And then how long after that did, how long ago did you stay? Did you see any more of the game? Because it got incredibly interesting. Oh, yeah. Well, I stayed. They put up, what was it, in the seventh inning, I want to say. They put up a whole bunch of runs. Five runs. Um, and it was, yeah, they were, I see you, you have it at 9-2. I want to say they put another run on the board. Um, no, no, it was 9-2 when I left. That's right. Because uh, it was 9-2. And I told Mr. Conniff, I said, you know, I think this game's in the bag. I'm going to get a head start on the drive home because I had to go to work the next morning. Um, and then as I'm driving away, I've got the game streaming on uh, on my app there. And, uh, and I hear they walk in a run. They walk in right. another run. Another run scores. And then there's a bases clearing double. And it, next thing I know, it was 9-8. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> oh man. You know, I'm glad I left when I did because it, it got a little bit tense and a little bit ugly, but they wound up pulling it out. Absolutely. So the standouts for that game were uh were uh, the starter, Duncan Hunter, the 24-year-old. Now 24 particularly with Griffin Dorshing and and Snyder, that's pretty old for that for that level. Right, um, but Snyder was picked up off international off the international league. So, you know, he's an independent ball guy. um, So it's a little different when those guys come back back into the affiliated ball. So he got the start of the six foot seven right-handers signed out of the American association early July was impressive. Once again, the 24 year old allowed only one run over four and two thirds of an inning, though he gave up six hits and three walks. He limited the damage by recording seven strikeouts. Like it seemed like every time he'd get a couple guys on, like he'd get a strikeout to end the inning. It just like, it was it was stressful. I'm not gonna lie. Like you know, <laughs> it was as detached as I am from from minor leagues. But it's like, like damn. Okay, here we go. Damn, it was funny. He, he was kind of all over the place because it's like yeah. it, 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 I don't know if he was losing grip or if he didn't have his release point down. But he'd throw a breaking ball, and once the ball, the catcher would have to jump way up out of his stance yeah. to get it because it would start 
way up there, take this sharp break, and he'd bar- just barely be able to glove it. But then he would work the guy back to two strike count, and he'd be able to locate. So it's like either the location was right where he wanted it or way the heck off. So the Iowa native posted a six and one record with a 4.31 ARA in 48 innings with 57 strikeouts and 12 walks. Another standout was Marcos Castagnon had a big night bouncing back from a rough, rough game of the series with three home, uh, three run home run to right center field. That ball was smoked and he was stoked. He was, he was jogging around those bases. And when he stepped on home plate, he slammed his foot on home base. Yes, uh, he you did. can really feel that emotion. And, Jackson Merrill, dude, is at the top step every time, just screaming his head off, jumping up and down like just the cheerleader of the team. So between those two guys and Juan Zabala, you've got three guys that are just locked in high energy. Like, I love watching those guys do their thing. So um, Castagnon hit 23 home runs and finished the regular season with a 261, 397, 485 slash line. And he also had a pair of hits and four BIs on the night. So he had a really good night. He absolutely did. And then Jackson Merrill, go ahead. In addition to Merrill's impressive at bat. And so the eighth inning, he got that, um, was it a double? I think it was a, a double. He had like an 11 pitch at bat. Yeah. Fouling stuff off, fouling stuff off. And it was a single up the middle, single up the middle that added a couple runs uh, that kind of like gave him some insurance for that. Right. Uh, but if, had- you, if you're the pitcher and you feel like you're kind of cruising and yeah. then this guy comes up and you just can't get him out, what does that do to the pitcher's state of mind? Yeah. Um, and both those, both the hits that I saw, the single and this RBI double, were inside low inside pitches that he hit opposite field. Oh, so he's he, got incredible plate coverage. It was um, it was insane how how he got his hands inside that ball and hit it the other way when it was low and inside. So, um, those lots to like about Jackson Mayer. Love the damage duo kid. Love his family. Absolutely. Um, and then yesterday's game. Okay, so. They they beat the Inland Empire 66ers to get to the finals. And then yesterday's game was the first game of the final series against the Fresno Grizzlies. Yeah. And I thought it was kind of fun that Fresno's, they sent their, their mascot, Parker T. Bear, this giant neon yellow teddy bear looking thing. He was down there at the game. Um, so Angela and I went to the game. We saw, we saw John Conniff there again. Um, and they just blew the doors out. It yeah. was a 13 to two thumping. They had 16 hits. 11 of them were for extra bases. So John Conniff did a really good write up. He's in town for the weekend. Um, so quote here, he says, our approach that Pat, our hitting coach teaches is to force the pitcher to come to you as much as possible. Says store manager, Eric Youngy. We don't come off the fastball, but we take it to right center for a right-handed hitter. When the breaking, when the breaking pitch is hanging, react to it and try to pull it for power. And it's, it sounds so simple to, yeah. to have that kind of an approach that you sit fastball, try to take it the other way, and then you get something off speed and you try to pull it, but it's got to be so hard to do. Uh, but they were all doing it so well that day. And so Griffin Dorshing didn't hit a home run, but he had a couple of really nice singles. And when he shortens up, he's got this compact stroke that yeah. looks really good. Uh, and then Jacob Marcy hit a home run center fielder, fairly new to the team, hit a home run left-handed hitter. He hit a home run up over that wall in right field. And it was one of these, it took off. You're like, Oh, it's going to be a line drive off the wall. And then it just kept on rising and it cleared the wall. Ah. Uh, Awesome game all the way around. Jackson Merrill had four hits on the day with a double to left, a double to right, and a double to center field. Uh, 
And so Young, he said, I, he said, I wouldn't want to throw to him right now. He follows the ball to feed into his game plan. And so, I mean, you talk about somebody going up there with a, with a plan and an approach and executing to it. He's been just fantastic. Um, they only walked one guy. So Young, he said, we only walked one guy today. The games we've struggled, strikes have been fleeting. It wasn't so much getting ahead, but with each guy, there was a strike in the first two pitches. Then they started going for the kill pitches to get the hitter out. And it didn't look like the Fresno players were being overly aggressive. It looked like they were just being carved up. Like they would get right. behind in the zone, in the, in the, in the count. And then they would put him away. It was really good execution. So left-hander Fernando Sanchez started the game, righty Will Geerties and lefty Hazel Quijada. Uh, those three guys just rolled through the whole game. And it was, it, the game really moved along for a high scoring game like that. The Storm's other offensive stars were Marcos Castagnon, who blasted his second home run of the postseason with a deep drive to left field, and catcher Juan Zabala, who connected for a pair of doubles to go along with his typical high energy behind the plate. And then Youngie says, I love the energy, but sometimes he needs to dial it back a little. He's come a long <laughs> way and has grown into a leadership role. When you hit, it sometimes makes your defense better, and he's earned himself innings with the way he's performed for us. So he's been one of my favorite players to watch on this team because he's he really is high energy, really involved in the game. I can see how that can be detrimental at times, especially right. as difficult and demanding as the position a catcher is. Uh, but he's kept it going all season. And, you know, all of these guys have been having a really good year. You know, and, and I, I got to say the, you know, Jackson Merle aside from from this year, th it has to be my player of the year. It's got to be Marcus Castagnon. Oh, undoubtedly. He, you know, he... uh he, he was injured. We talked to him earlier in the season. You know, when he talked about that last, uh, his last season uh, with uh, Santa Barbara, UC Santa Barbara, where he was injured and didn't have the greatest season. So he, he kind of dropped down a leaderboard. We're not talking about a top five guy, but certainly um, dropped down low enough where we picked him up, I think, in the ninth round, seventh, seventh round, which is still a pretty dang significant prospect. You're looking that up. Um, but to get 23 home runs, he was drafted in the 12th round. Yeah, 12th round. I mean, I, like, what a pickup. Oh, absolutely. And in, so he's from Rialto, right? Which is the Riverside yeah. area. So before the game, Angela and I were walking up and we see a couple of people wearing a brown shirt. It said Castagnon five on the back. We're like, oh, you guys, you guys, friends, family. I said, yeah. And we ran into him again. It was his mom and his dad. And uh -huh. they've been coming down for pretty much every single game. And there we must have seen like at least 12 or 15 people wearing his name on the back of their of their shirt. So he's had a whole entourage down there all summer. And that's just awesome. I love it when, when that happened, like yeah. last year with Danny Dens in Fort Wayne, having a great year and his family is just well, an hour, hour or two up the road. It's great when family gets to come and, and experience that. So I know as he moves up to the upper levels, they won't be able to do that as much, uh, but what a cool experience for him and yeah. for his family. Absolutely. And it's going to be interesting to watch Kesson Young go up to Fort Wayne and see where he, how he does next year, what he works on in the off season and see if he can keep that power up. You know, it's just, it's, it's crazy how well he hit. Right. But it doesn't look like he's selling out for power. No, he's got a really good approach. He looks like he's trying to spray line drives. And when he sees something he can jump on, he gets out in front of it and, and takes it over the wall. Um, and seeing him hit that home run to the opposite field on Thursday, that was impressive. Yeah. They, I mean, the guy's got, the guy's got power in there. Yeah. And it's very far apart of that. It's very, uh, that's a long part of the ballpark. Yeah, it is. It is. All right, so take us to San Antonio. So San Antonio strike one Sunday, last Sunday, not this Sunday, but last Sunday, last Sunday, Brandon Kumar struck out a career-high eight batters, and he, as he allowed just four singles over five and two-thirds innings of work. The 23-year-old that started all but his first two appearances with the missions 
after primarily being out of the bullpen in Fort Wayne earlier this year. The righty has given up 86 hits and 68 in the third innings overall for San Antonio, but has headed into the home stretch on a bit of a roll. He's allowed just seven hits against 13 strikeouts in his last two appearances. Like it always takes time, you know, unless you're in McKenzie Gore or Luis Patino, it takes you time to come up from one level to the next because it's just the jump is so big from high A to double A. Because once you make it in double A, if you do well in double A, you are certainly knocking on the door of the major league. So, you know, to, to watch him struggle the first four or five starts that he had uh, wasn't nothing new. And it's and like, the organizations know this stuff. They have to make the adjustments when you see better competition. So it looks like he's finishing the year really strong. Jordan Guerrero stuck out a side in the inning and relief work. The big ready has made two appearances for the mission as he continues his return from Tommy John surgery. Strike two. Wednesday, Tissa Ornelas had back-to-back multi-hit games. Ornelas connected on his seventh homer of the season Wednesday night, his first since August 19th. With only a week left in the season, it will be fun to follow how close a 22-year-old can get to his career highs. He has already set a career highs with 125 hits and 62 runs. Matches career high of seven stolen bases. He's only three doubles, one homer, and four RBIs away from setting career highs across the board. In fact, I think yesterday was the last game of the season for San Antonio. And uh, Tearsoul was their player of the week this week. Yeah. Batting 500 and hitting a home run. Okay, so moving on to El Paso on Friday, Brandon Dixon, end of sentence. End of sentence, dude. Mic drop. That's it. It's all. Let's go home. Play and cue the music, dude. Absolute. I mean, I want to say beast. There's just what do you? I don't know what to say. The guy oh, he's hitting the, on a tear. It's uh, he's in another stratosphere. You cannot stop him. You can only hope to contain him. <laughs> So the 30-year-old slugger had, slugger had two more hits, including yet another home run. He has homered in four straight contests and has 10 homers and just 18 games with El Paso. Dixon is hitting a ridiculous 394, 470, 915 overall this season. He has 20 homers in 44 games between the missions, Chihuahuas, and a single rehab game in the ACL. His 20 homers this season are a new career high. He hit 19 in 2015 while a member of the Dodgers organization in the big leagues with Detroit in 2019, he hit 15 in 117 games. So he's like, he's come down uh, and certainly, you know, he's seen pro ball time. I've uh, been with the Dodgers. So he's got experience. He's been around for a while, but just really absolutely put his name on the map. Um, well, he spent last Diego. year bouncing back and forth between the leagues in Japan. Yeah. And so you talk about a seasoned guy. I just learned something looking him up. He was, he's, he's from La Jolla. I had no idea. He was a local guy. He was born in La Jolla, uh, went to high school in Marietta. Okay, so on Saturday, the Chihuahuas continued to make their strong push for the playoffs with their second biggest victory margin of the season. El Paso has won 13 of their last 16 games and is a game and a half ahead of the Oklahoma City Dodgers with 10 left to play. And it wasn't too long ago that they were getting ready to go to Oklahoma City and we were looking at it going, okay, this is their chance to leapfrog Oklahoma City. And they came back from that series and they... I think they, they had, split the series or yeah. whatever. And we're like, well, maybe they won't make the playoffs. And then they just decided to go on a tear. And now it looks like they're forcing their way in. 
So Jay Groom had his best start since joining the Padres system, tossing six shutout innings. On the year, the former first-rounder sports a 3.56 ERA with 132 strikeouts against 64 walks in 134 innings at two levels. And keep in mind, a good chunk of that has been in the PCL. The big lefty out of New Jersey was considered one of the top pitching prospects in the 2016 draft before a series of injuries. After Tommy John surgery, his fastball never quite developed as some had projected, though he can still top out around 96 miles an hour. He's also replaced his curve with a slider that he can land in the zone or below for swinging strikes when he's on. The 24-year-old will likely get a chance to compete for a spot at the back of the rotation next spring in what will be his third year on a 40-player roster. So I want to jump back to Brandon Dixon a little bit. So, uh, okay, so the Padres called up Luis Liberato. It's clear that they're looking for some other bat to put on the bench somewhere. Um, Brandon Dixon, he hits righty, uh, but he can play first base, third base, either corner outfield position. He's played middle infield in the past. I don't know if they really look at him like that. He hasn't played there this year. Right. Um, If he were to get called up, it's too late for him to be uh, eligible for the off the postseason roster. Yeah. But still, they need to get to the end of the season, Um, you know, and for a team that has been looking for some offensive spark, you know, if it's going to be. Luis Liberato sitting at the end of the bench. I would rather see somebody with a little bit of major league experience, um, you know, who's been on, I mean, nobody's been hotter than he's been the last, last month or so. And you play the hot hand with like, they've been playing with uh, the sugar, Luis Azucar. Yeah. Jose Jose Azucar. Oh, I've been loving watching him when he had that. He had a, like an 11 pitch at bat, something like that. Worked a walk, worked two walks, came in to pinch hit, worked a walk, stayed in the game, faced a righty, which he hasn't been facing a whole lot of righties, worked a huge walk. I mean, when when the team was, you're seeing a lot of bad, bad, bad plate appearances. Yeah. You know, swinging over stuff they shouldn't be swinging at, watching strike three go right down the middle of the plate. And then he goes up there and just fouling balls off. He's just looking like a like a legit good hitter. Now, hopefully the last couple of games, everybody started to look that way. But, you know, it's got to come around. It's got to come. Right, certainly, and when he, when they, uh, you know, when I saw him in, uh, in spring training, and when they brought him up earlier this year, I'm like, okay, they're they, maybe they're just fulfilling a contract obligation, um, and then he starts hitting and plays some decent defense. As um, you know, Grisham continued to struggle, he kept getting hits and the, the sporadic playing time that he was getting. He took he took the position away from Grisham right now. You know? Yeah, he and, really and has. Certainly, and certainly, um, that's that's not necessarily a knock on Grisham because he has had a struggle. He's just struggled this year. Um, I don't think that's the player that Grisham is, but certainly having someone come up and, you know, do better production than, you know, a fifth outfielder uh, certainly has uh, certainly been nice to see. And we love, you know, as Padre fans, we love those guys that come up and make a name for themselves. You know, the, the, the Salartes when he's doing, when he was doing really well and not, you know, became the pariah that, uh, you know, that he eventually became, um, you, we love to root for those guys. And when they continue to produce, and you know, steal a bag here, do some you know really great defense in the uh, in the outfield. Like we love those guys, and those guys are the little things. They're like the, the Brandon Drury Juniors of rosters that make you into a champion. Like sure, you trade for the Sotos and the Josh Bells, but it's the Drury guys that you really win championships with. Right. I mean, you think back to the 2004 uh, World Series, the Red Sox won. And what was the pivotal moment of that? When Dave Roberts, who is the fourth, fifth outfielder, when he stole a base. And, you know, little moments like that make it make a huge difference. You know, David Eckstein going up and and being a pest for the 
for the Diamondbacks the back in the day or the Cardinals. Yeah. Who's the yeah. other guy I'm thinking of? The other undersized middle infielder that's anyway, his name will come to mind after we get off of here. All right. And it certainly isn't <laughs> oh, Padres. It's been Craig, a Craig, Craig Council. That's oh, the yes. guy I was thinking of. Yeah. We get up there, hold the bat way up above his head and be a pest at the plate. I love those guys. So this pretty much ends the season for, for us, uh, Friars and the Farmer. We're going to have um, literally El Paso is going to play in Oklahoma these next three games, or next this next week. Uh, There's two more it. games for the, well, the, it's a best of three season for the Storm as well. Right, right. So the first game is on Tuesday, I think I saw. Uh, hopefully that's the last game. That, hopefully they they sweep right. their way through the playoffs. That would be sweet. And then uh, San Antonio's in the postseason too, aren't they? No, they are not. They didn't. They didn't make it. I don't think they made it. I know they oh, had a really okay. good. I, I know they had a really good first. You know, you may be right. They may have won the uh, the, the first uh, the first half. Sorry, I couldn't think of that because I know that they had such a horrible start and then they were on a tear. And maybe that is the case, but I thought maybe that they are not going to make it. You know, one thing that's kind of let me down a little bit. If anybody from the milb.com side happens to listen to this, there hasn't been a whole lot of coverage about the playoff formats and who is in and what the schedules are because it wasn't until the storm actually announced the, okay, these are the games and the times there wasn't anything leading up to that. Like, okay, the, the set, like, I didn't even know, is it a best of three, a best of five? Right. right, Is there one round? Are there two rounds? It wasn't very well publicized. I know we had a little note on it before the season, but there wasn't a place where you can go look on their webpage and, and see. So I'd like to, I I hope that next year they can, uh, they can put that, you know, make it a little bit more visible. Well, I will certainly, you know, message the minor league MILB guys that I know. Oh yeah. When uh, we talk to like Tyler Mon or, or, or Ben's biz or any of those guys, we'll, we'll, we, we'll chew on them a little bit, even though they have, have nothing Tyler to do with on. any of that uh, stuff. We have not had Tyler Mon on and, and bless his heart. He's in Denver. He is a, uh, you know, I think he grew up a Rockies fan. You know, I think he's from the Denver area. Um, we need to have him on because he's doing the world baseball classic qualifiers where <clears throat> former storm and uh, Fort Wayne tin cap. Um, Lucas Dunn is playing for Deutschland. Nice. Yes. I was watching the qualifier the other morning. Actually, I think it was Saturday morning and all right, next up is Lucas Dunn. I'm like, Holy sh- <laughs> Holy cow. I totally forgot that he went and played for Germany. Huh? All right. We're going to have him on. Okay. So, yeah, we do. Yeah. So um, as, as we kind of transition into, uh, the end of the season, the playoffs into the off season, we'll have more interviews. We'll find more players. We'll have a hand up. We'll have um, certainly we'll be covering the unionization of the of Major League Baseball and something that we have from the Arizona Fall League. And I have then- looked this up and in the Texas League, the missions are in the playoffs. OK, on one side of the bracket, you have the Tulsa Drillers and the Wichita Wind Surge. And then the San Antonio missions will be playing whoever is the second half division winner. So there it is. God, let it be the Tulsa Drillers because they're the Dodgers affiliate. Oh no, they're they're already on the other side of the of the division. All right. So maybe maybe they'll face them in the finals. The Dodgers just take the wind out of their sails. Kill the dragon eggs. <laughs> yes. I don't, I don't know what that means. Um, You've been so watching yeah. Game of Thrones lately. <laughs> A little bit of House of the Dragon. It's just been uh, it's been real fun. Uh, so you can reach me on Twitter at uh, SD Donovan. I am at Zippy underscore TMS. Go Padres. Let's go Padres. Yeah,